So this day has undergone many historical changes, but um, a lot of it really being part of the symbolism and I suppose reflecting the conflict that has taken place within the land of the country, but conflicts also over the land of South Africa. Uh, Professor Jabulani Mapalala is a historian and former lecturer at the University of Zululand. Uh, Professor Mapalala, good morning and thank you so much for your time today. Uh, good morning, Kathy. Thank you very much for having me. Let's just talk about the history of this day and where it it has come from. And I think some of the, the significant events that we've seen happen on this day, but also just how it has evolved over the years. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, thank you very much, uh, Kathy. Uh, we must not decontextualize uh this important event because it was a continuation of european invasion which had started in 1652 continued up to norme uh, on 16 december 1838 the africaners the poor the fortress the dutch were the invaders and they were colonialists because they were renaming indigenous uh, places on their way. All people who do that are colonialists. They rename the places so that it would be said there was no good here. And you see the names of the people who were here. They wipe out the indigenous names. The Africaners did that. There are many examples. Drakensberg, Moirefir, Glutrefir, uh, all the figment of their imagination. The indigenous names are there. Ukasamba, Impofana, Ingome. So they were invaders. They arrived here in November 1837 and destroyed many fields of the people who are over, which they renamed women. They renamed women because as colonialists, they had to rename everything, hills, rivers, and so on. And that is why there was mobilization of the big army to fight them. But the fight itself, on the 16th of December, 1838, was not on the banks of Nome River. The, 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 the Zulu army came from the west in the hill, which is like in Tiban, Wadhok. That is where they came moving to the Laka. Not that it was a miracle that they were not killed. They put their weapons in a, a, a circle and put stones where they join them. Stones and everything then put cattle inside. And the Zulu people through bravado, they came and moved straight towards the lager. And the Africaners, who were very few inside, shot while inside the lager. But it is a, a propaganda, a historical propaganda that 3,000 Zulu people were killed and that there were 16,000.
who counted those people? Nobody knew. But uh, the estimation is always given. But it must not be something which you call a reality. I was the first person who wrote uh, and tried to rectify uh, the there, And overseas people came and took the document which I wrote to say, it is a propaganda to say it is blood and that the war fought on the rivers or on the, uh, on the banks of the Ngome River. There was no such as far away. They agreed with me. It was a very big issue that they trying to defend. But what is important, Kathy, what is important, most important, we African people are reactionary. Because we are reactionary, we will not, we will not move very far. On this day, there was a day, the day where Umkondwe Sizwe was launched. But what is that? Where, how far did it go? How is it remembered? Where is the stage of King Tingan, a hero who fought the invaders? The Europeans united after that and built a bit redeful statue near King Tingan's palace. It, is, it was built by the British and the Fort Trekkers through the initiative of the British governor here in South Africa. He said this day was a day which determined whether barbarism or civilization would reign in South Africa. He said it's a day which unites all of us Europeans because when now they fought against the Zulu people, all the British came and joined. It was not the Boers only. It was now all of them in a united manner. So it does not be, depend on the numerical strength. It depends on the unity of mind and the brains, how the brains work. Otherwise, if it was depending on the numerical strength, we would be far away. But where, where are we today? Today we are an English country. How can we be English country when we know our parents are semi-literate, could neither read nor write in large numbers, and road planning is the order of the day? So we are reactionary. We must look at our mistakes and admit them. Now we are reactionary by going and uh, celebrate there at home because the Boers are, are celebrating. If that is not reactionary thing, what is it? And it is not from the genuine understanding of the purpose of where we are going. Now, everywhere you will find African indigenous Africans doing that reactionary kind of thing, pleasing the European, pleasing the white, yeah, and until everything from the syllabus was removed, which is African. If you ask any child, you say, why is this day important uh, among the African people? They will not say it's the day where Umkonto and Sizwe was launched. They will not say that because there's nowhere in the books. Since 1994, nobody's mentioning that. Since 1994, nobody's mentioning that these people mm. were in Egypt. Mm. They are brothers. 
How can he bless people, be brothers? Not that I have malice. I don't have malice. But we have to think critically. They can't be my brother because we know where they come from. They come from Europe. They are Europeans. It's not an insult. So now, because of all lack of leadership, even intelligence is hiding, everybody is hiding, the government is afraid of annoying the white because they feed you after stealing the land. How can you praise people who have stolen your fatal arable land and you say they are feeding you? Who was feeding us before the invasion? We were not feeding ourselves. What happened to our spirituality? What happened to our culture? What happened to our languages in workplace? As a medium of instruction in Parliament, where they debate and show off how they know English language, pronunciation, bombastic words, and so on. It's all a fact. But it revolves around this battle where the Europeans were united. You go to the Nanstadt we so-called today, you'll see how beautiful the uh, Peter Diff monument was. Who was killed because they were found encircling the palace at night, not knowing that they were Oka Inyanga who were watching the king's palace. And therefore, they were killed as Abathadas. There's no mystery in that. So we are lost, Kathy. We are lost. We are lost. We are lost. I like you. I see you when you question people and when you, you, you are a seasoned uh, journalist. But we must talk the truth. Otherwise, we'll be headed like a ship moving this way and this way, and we'll be dormant. And all what was done by our ancestors who were half naked, wearing a, a traditional attire, will be null and void because it is not there in the syllabus. If it is not in the syllabus, how can we be propagated to be a wealth for our generation? How can that be? Mm. All nations start from what was bequeathed to them by their ancestors. Professor Mapalala, one of the things, and, and, and I'm going to go through a number of the issues that you've just raised as, as, as part of your opening comments. You've spoken about how this battle was in fact not even fought on the banks of the Ngome River. Um, and, you know, just the messaging around it has been that for, for so long, and yet um, it is incorrect. How did that come to be, at least as far as, as, as you understand? Well, I've published because I knew that you have to publish something scientific. I publish a book about that where there is evidence how the battle was what I've gone to the place and saw where the lager was situated and see where the Nome River is. How far away it is from the lager. That evidence, not only that alone, where was the Zulu army? The Zulu army was on the west, on the Ndibane mountain. And then I went there and saw that as the evidence. And then I went where, which is the, the stronghold of the Afghanistan, 
what's called what they call a museum, Plutre Film Museum, where all kind of propaganda is there up to this day. And there I saw how distortion was. And that distortion was taught in primary school, secondary school, university level. And those who will mimic it as it is will get distinctions. You see, there was no counter. So but, I but, said, but to I what to what end? To what end do you believe all of this was done? Uh, to to what end? To to white supremacy, domination. What what, what what was the purpose all along? It was the battle of mind. First it was physical and then later uh, that one of indoctrinating our children, of indoctrinating of our children up to our generation. I'm an old man now, I'm seventy four. But up to our generation, there are people who mimic and believe everything because of lack of critical thinking. So the purpose was indoctrination with uh, uh, the, the poor propaganda, white supremacy propaganda that God said uh, is a miracle, I'm saving you, and so on. How can God save the invaders? of peaceful people. How can, how can that be? So you ask the question. It was not something, uh, even with me, it's not something based on malice, but I'm a historian. There must be evidence. Where do we get evidence? First time they came in November 1837, they destroyed all militias in one Obama. And they move about. They move about. Capturing cattle of the people. They didn't come with cattle. They move about. And later on, they now forge the signature of King Dingan to say Dingan could write a beautiful handwriting, his signature with Petritif to say he was ceding all the land south of Utuge, which they renamed Republic Natalia. Republic of Natal, which was stolen. There was no such document. There was no such treaty. The land of the African people was always indivisible. People were given Iziza, residential site. Mm. It was throughout Africa, indivisible. Now, you say those people are innocent. How can they be when now you look at history, how the African view history? And so on. Why forge the signature? King Dingan was illiterate, could neither read nor write. Mm. But you go to the archives, you will find a treaty. In beautiful handwriting, which Dingan uh, is said to have signed. When you say, why do you say Dingan signed this? They say, well, he was taught by the missionaries. He was taught by the missionaries how mm. to read and write. Mm. Go to the archives just now. You will find that. You will find that. But it is not part of the syllabus. It's something which ends as we talk here. Because the Africans are not in charge of the syllabus. They are afraid of the white people. The syllabus is, is written by the Europeans here. So you cannot now say this will change. Because they are afraid. They will say, well, we, we do not know anything about education. The white people will run away, and then we will suffer. 
So the syllabus is a Eurocentric one. Professor Jabulani Mapalala, he's part of uh, those that are on the show today. We're reflecting on the history of Reconciliation Day, taking a specific look at the Battle of Ngome and uh, the Battle of Blood River, as it's otherwise also known. Uh, but yeah, some some important information that the professor is sharing with us. And, you know, also talking about the formation of Umkonto Wesizwe. It was in 1961 that that took place on this very special day. When we come back, I want us to talk about the issue of land dispossession because effectively a lot of the battles that were being fought were over the land. Has the situation changed at all today? The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're in conversation with Professor Jabulani Mapalala. He's a historian and former lecturer at the University of Zululand. Uh, we're talking in, in particular about, you know, just the history of Reconciliation Day. Where does the day come from? How has it evolved over the years and also taking a look at some of the significant events that have taken place on this day through the centuries, effectively, because it's more than decades, uh, through the centuries. Professor Mapalala, y- you talk about the, you know, the, the, the Battle of Ngome as having been won effectively over, you know, colonization and, and dispossession, because uh, you've, you, you've told us about how the Furtrekas went around renaming land, occupying and taking cattle that belonged to locals. One of the fights that we still see today in South Africa is, is around land dispossession and the fact that people don't have land. What role do you think that battle played in setting the foundation for where South Africa is today? Uh, Karthi, thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. Uh, Europe is one of the five continents uh, in the world, but it is land-deprived. It is deprived of land, the scarcity of land. The Europeans who came from there and landed at the Cape were very desperate. The invasion started there from the West Coast because of the scarcity of land in Europe. They were resisted by the Khoisans from, from the beginning. The Khoisans are the indigenous Africans. They resisted them, but they were eventually overcome. The land was... Uh, taken by the invaders, by the European invaders, the Dutch, the Fortrekker, the Boer, and later on joined by the British in, 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 in for the purpose of getting land of the indigenous people. After that, for 100 years, the war was fought in the Eastern Cape, because of invasion of Europeans, of the Kosa people, for 100 years, during which the head of King Hilda was chopped off and used as a trophy, and it is kept in London Museum, Museum today. Thereafter, all the land was taken, 
and the African indigenous Africans were driven to the uh, rugged uh, Bimosa region, uh, hilly uh, places, and all the arable land, fertile land, were taken by Europeans up to this very day. That's where they are, in the native reserve. And now they, 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 they say there was nobody. When they came there, there was nobody on that land. And they do away with the land which is barren. But that land which is barren is not given to the indigenous kings and Amakos. It is given to the tenants and labor tenants. That one which is useless. And all the fertile ones, the whites, are keeping it to themselves. And the government said, uh, well, it's good because uh, uh, they are feeding the nation. They are feeding the nation. If they are removed, there will be food scarcity, which is nonsense. Who was feeding these people before the land was invaded and taken away and the Africans uh, with their leaders driven to the barren car? That is in the Eastern Cape. Today, the language is in danger. It cannot be used in Parliament. It cannot be used in schools like medium of instruction. It cannot be used anywhere. Now, it is a local language in the English country. And here in Wazul, the Zulu people took up arms and wiped out the British army at San Juan, where they killed 580 British soldiers, together with the traitors. But eventually, all the land was taken through the Land Boundary Commission and Zululand Land Delimitation Commission, and all the Zulu people are in Mimosa uh, region territories in the stony part, native reserves up to now. Even the king stays there now. All the fertile land is in the hands of the white, except the ones which they don't like, which they have given to labor tenants and tenants. That is in the province of Washington. I can take you to the transfer to the free state. Same thing happened, where all the other land was taken away from the indigenous people, and you will find them near Bombela. All the other land is in the hands of the white. It's a white country because now they argue, now they are emboldened. They argue now by saying that we were not defeated in the battlefield, Kathy. Because they are not defeated in the battlefield, it's a 50-50. It's a 50-50. We find Orania, we found... Uh, Everything coming out, every forum being recognized by United Nations. So the land, we say, uh, some say it will come. There will be appropriation. But already the government has said, well, the appropriation can go ahead, but don't take the land which produces food. The one, the arable one. Good grazing one, which the whites uh, stole from the Africans, must not be taken 
because there will be food scarcity. The government has said that. The government has All right. said that. Uh, pro- now, uh, yeah. which land then is going to be given to Africans? There is no land which is going to to Africa. It's a fact. It's a fact. The Africans must reorganize themselves. They must reorganize themselves and do away with inferiority complex. Mm. And do away with a cap-in-hand kind of mentality. Especially the Europeans were not defeated in the battlefield. Professor Mapalala. I'm just going to ask you to try and keep your responses a little shorter. I've got quite a number of calls that have been lined up. And so I want us to be able to also open uh, the lines in a moment. Fine. Good. 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 Professor Jabulani Mapalala is a historian and former lecturer at the University of Zululand, and uh, he's giving us his perspective in terms of the Battle of Ngome, or Blood River. And we're taking a look at the history of um, the 16th of December throughout, I think, the years and the decades in South Africa. Let me go to Barry in Port Elizabeth. Barry, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, and thank you for the, for having the professor um, on the line and for your show. I'm actually an avid listener. Um, Kathy, I wanted to just add to the point that the professor was raising, and I had a small, I had a snippet, uh, quote a snippet of the introduction by the the gentleman that was conveying a particular version of that history, and I want to to perhaps give a more nuanced insight into an earlier story that unfolds, that that takes us to this history that we're now talking about pertaining to the 16th of December. And the issue at hand is really why why was there a great trick? Why was there a need for for the poor republics to break, or the poor farmers to break away and move out of the colony? And that history is to be found really here in the Eastern Cape, in the district of Sarah Bartman, all the way from P.E. Angoa Bay, all the way up through Utenek into the Kamdabua, into Harafarinet region of the Karoo. And that history is located in two fundamental issues. The issue of cheap or free labor linked to the abolition of slavery in the British colony or in the Cape Colony. And secondly, land, access and acquisition and domination of land by a growing uh, settler class in South Africa. So the issue about why, 1834, 1833, the British, the colony already began a big, strong movement to move and to bring abolition of slavery into the country. By that time already, there were not just slaves, and legalized legal slaves in the country, but there was also a lot of free labor, indentured, what you would call indentured or bonded labor, taking place in much of the hinterland of the Karoo, for example. And in that area on what was growingly and more and more becoming the Eastern Front to the, to the Cape Colony, there was this tension between British policy at the time, and I'm not an abolitionist, I'm not a, a, uh, an apologist for, for, for the realm of the British Empire, but the British really were pushing for abolition of slavery. And there was a moral movement for that happening in Cape Town and, 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 and landed wealthy classes in the Cape Philanthropic Society, etc. And even that can be criticized. We can criticize how that happened in the aftermath of it. But really, many of these, uh, 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 what we would call four uh, farmers that were in the Karoo, in the hinterland, they needed free labor. They were not going to get that labor by, by they were not prepared to, I mean, the, the, the domination of black labor and land was fundamental to this. 
And that is why I'm asking that the person who's sharing that history with you, can they explain to us what was it actually? What was the issue that people couldn't work under the British colony? What was that issue? And if you read the history of this region and the history of that period written by Sam Peter Blanche, Professor Sam Peter Blanche, even the work of uh, some historians, early work, people like Martin Lagusek and others, you will pick up that history that there was this growing uncomfortableness, a discomfort of working under the prospect of having actually to extend worker rights and recognize black labor in South Africa, slaves in particular, um, as other human beings. So the, the point that I'm set that I would like to add to where your where prof was going is that the issue of labor and the dominance of black labor and black bodies in South Africa goes hand in hand with the, with the issue of land disposition. You're not going to deal with racism. You're not going to deal with any of these issues that we're confronted with in South Africa until we can deal with that in our history and how we, how we articulate history. So part of the problem that I'm, that, that why I'm calling in is to say mm -hmm. that this professor that you have brought, for me, I've got my two sons sitting and listening to this, mm -hmm. because that history doesn't come to the fore in the public space all the time. Mm. Constantly, my, my, you are, we are now having to... I mean, it's the, the, this professor is really um, uh, enlightening us. And I think that SAFM needs to have a program that covers some of these significant days that begins to critically look at the history uh, and how we, how we uh, articulate it in the public space, mm. how it is taught in our schools in mm. particular, because mm. there is a fundamental link. In fact, there is a visceral link between Black Lives Matter and what's happening today in the Black Lives Matter globally, not just a South African phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon, uh, the criticism of history and how it's foretold and the de need to decolonize that history, mm. where it is taught. And here, for example, the struggles of the Khoi and the San people in the Eastern State, particularly here in this area, from the, from, um, through from Utene, um, Algoa Bay, through into the Kamdabu, into the, the Karoo area, is grappling with the effect, the net effect of that history. Post, post 1834, after 1834, after the, 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 the Crown um, uh, introduced, uh, ab abolished slavery in the Cape, or South Africa, historically the Cape Colony, mm. they introduced as a compromise to accommodate many of these descending voices that moved into the Great Cape. There were a number of ordinances, Ordinance 48, 49, and Ordinance 50 afterwards that the, that the colony introduced to ensure that there was a smoothing in period. After slavery, you would, you would free your slaves, you would be legally freed, but there would be a four-year internship, compulsory internship in this whole area here, all the way this, in the colony. So technically, if I was a slave in 1833 and 1834, I was freed and uh, abolition came in and I was a freed slave. I owed my master four more years of internship, um, free labor. And post that, there was continued raids in Kampoi communities. Families were, 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 were under pressure. Children were taken away from homes and families and went to work as interns or what sure. you would call artisans. Yeah. So that history, you must go and read the history of the South Africa as articulated by Professor Sam Peter Blanche and others. And you will get a very, very clear, much clearer history, mm. a clearer, more honest, critical perspective on the history in South Africa and how it links to where we are today. That is the fundamental point that we need to address. 
how does this history and the fact that we haven't gotten to grips with how history is articulated, taught and discussed in the public space in South Africa more generally, mm. how is that an impediment to us really dealing and getting to grips with the issues that face our society, particularly land and labor? And if you speak to, to those in the labor movement who study that, that history and understand it, you will understand why in, 1990, in the 80s, 90s, the issue of labor, labor rights is so fundamental. So as we look at society in South Africa today, for me, the gauge must be how are we moving on labor rights and on land um, uh, justice, what I call land justice. You know, the thing of land restitution is fine. It's how the government has articulated it. But how do we come and deal with justice, restorative justice? Mm. How do we restore people to the land? Right. And how do we ensure that that we restore and ensure the dignity of South Africans, particularly black South Africans, that had to suffer uh, the indignity mm. uh, and the horrors of colonialism. All right, Barry. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for the show, uh, and I want to commend the prof, and thank you for having me. Sure. Thank you so much for, for that contribution to this conversation. Uh, Barry is out in Port Elizabeth. Philip Malinga, Voiswa, I see all of you. Uh, I will attend to your calls after the latest 11 o'clock news, news update. rather. It's nine after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the Talking Point today. We're talking about the history and the context of Reconciliation Day. Professor Jablani Mapalala is a historian and former lecturer at the University of Zululand. We've opened the phone lines and we're taking uh, many of your calls and we'll continue to do that. Uh, Philip in Mpumalanga, good morning. Hi, Philip. Fine. Uh, I want to criticize SAFM and the producer of this program. Go for it. Not uh, Philip, f- Philip, so the, the only difficulty I'm having is that your line doesn't yes, seem to be very I, clear. I can't hear you properly, Kathy. Mm. So I will ask, I will phone back and see okay. if I can get a better line. Okay, not, not a problem, Philip. Or I'll, I'll ask, also ask your, the producers your, your, your to call you back. Has, your producer has got my number. Let's see if we can get a better line. Yes. I will appreciate. Thank you, Kathy. No, no, no problem, Philip. Uh, uh, Lebo will try and call you back there because uh, that line is certainly not great. Uh, Malinga is... In Nambiti, good morning. Yes, yes. Good morning, Kathy. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Mapalala, Prof. Mapalala, and everybody listening. Yeah, Prof. Mapalala, this is a very good, uh, beautiful history that you, you have just narrated. And uh, and I would like to presume that you, you have written a book uh, a book that we can, we can get this history from, because we need, we need to teach this to our kids, you know. And and another another thing, we we, uh, we may not be able to win this battle in our lifetime. But I hopefully, if if we equip, if we equip our kids with such knowledge that is that Prof. Mafalala has just narrated, I think our kids will be able to do something useful with it because uh, the, the the conditions that we are living in today are very bad. When 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 you look at it, because if if you take a drive like from from and to job you you find you find acres of land that is owned by one white uh, one one family of four five people and then you find that um, most of the, of the natives are living in squatter camps and in in and in cramped up places you know I think uh, we need to do something about this and then going back to, to prof prof uh, with so much history at, at, at your disposal 
Uh, how do you think we can we can move from this uh, from this situation that you are in? Because we need to find a way of giving back the land to the Khoisans and to the Africans at large. Mm-hmm. All right, Malinga. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. And I'm going to give the proffer an opportunity to respond once I've I've taken at least uh, those callers that have already been lined up. Uh, Philip, I understand you're back on the line, and it sounds a bit better. No, I, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to try. Otherwise. Uh, can you hear me better, Kathy? Ye- yes, it sounds like it's a bit better. I- I'll let you know if we have any issues. Go for it, Philip. I will try. I think I will try either on a cell phone, but usually they're worse than a direct line. But I'll try. I'm, I'm going to get through on a cell phone. Can you hear me, Kathy? Okay, okay. L- l- let's try and see what the okay. what the cell phone line All right. does. Firstly, I want to criticize SAFM and your producer uh, for producing this program because I personally think there is no reconciliation in this whole talk today because you can look at your guests, your chosen guests. Uh, not one of those guests at the, so far had uh, reconciliated uh, Secondly, you can see this by the response of the listeners. It's full of hatred, full of everything of that type of thing. That will bring me uh, to to your first guest, and I don't want to criticize a person, but you know, I am sure I will wonder if she can even speak an indigenous language. She is using a, a European language, which is not indigenous to South Africa. So why can't we speak in our own indigenous language? We have to speak a British language. Thirdly, that brings me to the point of land. Whites are blamed for thieves stolen the country. But who took the land from the Khoisan? Who took the land from the Khoisan, the thieves which stole the land from Khoisans? And who is the next thief in going to steal our land? Most probably it can be the Chinese or it can be ISIS as has been done in Mozambique at this stage. So who are the thieves at the end of the day? And that will bring me to racism. Uh, whites are blamed for racism. Not one single of your guests, nor one of your callers, has blamed black people. If we look at the hate speech of uh, Malema and BLF and many other, it is not uh, criticized at this stage. So my question is, when are we going to leave the past behind and build a new country forward, as was said to us in '94? Who, who voted in the new dispensation? Not black people. It was done by apolitical people, which was unfortunately white in this country. Show me one country or continent in on the world where there were no atrocities. In Africa, we can go back to atrocities, and I'm not going to mention them. America, Europe, South America, East Asia, all the countries had atrocities. And which caused the atrocities was caused by politics, and it was caused by religion. Those are the things which is the most important. Now it brings me back to the land, uh, to uh, 
the future of this country. Racism is a devastating thing. It is going to destroy this country. So where are we going to stop these things? So uh, what I want to tell you is just one thing. Mkiniso Iseko, Iseko, Vadu Vakuluma Manga, Vajiga Jiga, Nomwa Tolinkiga, Vakumbisa Avalungu, That brings us to the land question. So who, whose fault is it at this stage? Yes, we know the atrocities of the past. But isn't the government responsible to give title deeds to every citizen in this country? Because if you haven't got a title deed, You've got nothing. By taking, by taking the agricultural farms and stuff, as your professor suggested in a, in, in a certain way, it's not going to solve the, the land problem in this country. It's not going to solve it. Okay. And one thing I want to tell you, how do you identify a racist? Just by looking at the pronouncement of the word. If they start with the racist, you must know they are the racist. So please, let's go forward and, and see if we can. We don't want a thing like Sinekal uh, uh, again, or Brackenfell, or which other, or in what happened in, in the Northeast. Burning towns, killing people, all that nonsense must stop. Okay. And, and we feel for that. All right, Philip. Thank you, uh, Philip, thanks for your call. Philip out in Mpumalanga. Vuiswa, you're the last call I'm going to take. Go for it. Oh, thanks, Kathy, for taking my call. And uh, thanks to the professor. Um, you, you know, I really must commend him for, for the bravery because most of us Africans are afraid to discomfort white people. Uh, I would like to start my, 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 my contribution by the words of... Uh, one of the sons of the soils, uh, who, Dr. Joshua Mkabongkomo, who led the ZAPU Zimbabwe African Liberation Army, which was a sister organization to, to MK. He said the first time he met a white man, a liar, is when he met a white man. White people have hurt us so much, or oh, let me say the white race. And I thank Kusmangel also for being so brave to come up with the origins of white. And because growing up in exile, I actually indulge into the history of this continent, trying to counter what white people have actually damaged the minds of the African people by telling them a distorted history. For, for instance, what Professor Mopalala was saying, uh, you know, he's been taking us through, it is the greatest truth you can never find in any book. And I was uh, fortunate enough, though I call it apartheid, uh, it was a, a disadvantage and an advantage for me, taking my parents, my grandparents, you know, to this day, I, my mother is not accounted for, you know, and many members of my family. But I actually went to that House of Commons, to the history of the European uh, museums, the entire Western Europe, and uh, I found, you know, truths that we will never be taught in these schools. And for the fact, Dingani's history is the professor was taking us to Dinizuru's you know, resistance against the, the oppressor and the colonizers or imperialists, I can say, you know. They actually damaged our history and lied so much and they still continue to lie 
The problem is that we must sit down and start colloquial discussions and discuss the truth about ourselves and revert to our main self so that our history can be retold and we rewrite our history. Even the history of King Shaka is so distorted in such a way that, you know, sometimes I hear people talking, but I say, I don't know what they're talking about because it all comes from a distorted history, including religion. It's one distorted thing, you know, we, the African people, are a giant of the, of, of the planet. And we need to revert to that giant and stop fearing white people and listening to all the lies they tell us today. Even now we give them the truth to tell us the lies about this COVID-19. And we need to stand up as Africans and stand up for the truth and stand up for the land of our forefathers. You know, and fight for the land of our forefathers. You can't have, you have no, 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 no clue on what is happening when the minority come to a country, to a land, and start actually calling short in a land that does not belong to them. You know, because at the end of the day, mm. who are we? You know, I have a mother who is missing up to this day, not accounted for, you know, abducted and so on. I was listening. I know to grow up in distant lands. But we still continue to want to give these people a Jew. They must tell us these lies, continue telling us these lies. And yet we know that they are the worst liars, the the worst killers. I mean, from day one, I always say, when the devil landed in this land from Europe, they started killing because they wanted to possess, repossess us, dispossess us. And here we are, dispossessed today. And we still want to actually respect these people. The truth must come out, and we must fight for the truth. And I don't know how to thank Professor Mapalan, and I've been wanting to meet him because I've done such a research from, from I spent time in Egypt trying to get the research and I, I the, the truth about who are we as Africans. And actually, in, in the House of Commons, you go there, you find what's really who Dinizul was, what Dinizul did, what King Dingani did. You know, they tried to fight the, the, this imperialist, and they tried their best to the extent of losing even their lives because they wanted to, 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 to save us. Today right. we have no leadership that can stand up and save us. We have leadership that fears the white people. All right, Vuiswa. Thanks for your call. Uh, Vuiswa is out in Parktown North. Uh, Prof, I'm going to give you the last word. You've had an opportunity to listen to to some of the contribution from our listeners today. Uh, I would say thank you very much. Um, uh, I've already said to Lebu, I took exception for you to say I must shorten or whatever. Because I haven't come here, because I don't want to talk to the radio, because what is that? What do I gain? I said I'm an old man, 74 years. I don't want somebody to say, try to shorten your sentences. I don't like that. So, but I would say thank you to Marlena and to the lady who's speaking just now. All the other people are Eurocentric they look at history through the eyes of European invaders. I don't want to enter them. I've said the people who defended the country are the Khoisans. They defended their country under Gonema in class, and they were locked up. There was sexual invasion. There was everything. There was no, no Khoisan today now here in the, in the Western Cape. I was trying to simplify the thing that these people were invaders and the question of land. Now we are frightened. 
because there's somebody who's watching over you to say, I must be careful, I mustn't be long. I say thank you very much, but you must not come back to me to say you want me to talk, because I will not. I will definitely not. Oh, okay, uh, Professor Mapalala. I think you know there, there was really no offence intended in my no, request. Just to no, 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 no. I understand where you are coming from. I understand where you work. I understand for whom you are working. I'm not a child. At seventy-four, I must understand. I was born in apartheid. So why must I say I don't understand? Don't go on, I've understood, but I say I will not come back. I've passed the thing where they say your English, your whatever, you are long, you want to say this, you want to whatever. I have published books, even about what I'm talking, the invasion of African land by Europeans, the Dutch and the British. Mm. The book is published, it is there, with all the details, with footnotes, archival, and everything. I, I have a request from some of the listeners who want to know if there's a way they can get in touch with you, if you have uh, either a blog they can follow just to read some of the work that you've put together. If they want to, you can give my cell to them if they want it's up to them, if they are Eurocentric, up to them. Also. But I thank Marina and this lady that spoke and I know that these are Afrocentric. Uh, so those are the people I can talk to. Well, the Eurocentric one, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say because they are lost. I don't want to engage in such a debate. Mm. All right. Professor Jabulani Mapalala, he's a historian and former lecturer at the University of Zululand. We'll take a quick break and we'll continue with the show after this.